You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to episode three of our mini-series with me, Sarah Raven and Arthur Parkinson. And we really thought this one we would concentrate on starting out as a gardener. And to do that, I think you really want to work out what sort of garden do you want? Who are you? What are your priorities, I suppose? And certainly for me, when I started out, I was pretty clear I was colour obsessed I absolutely love produce. I love, I, from when I was a child, I loved harvesting things. But I was busy. And when I started gardening, I was actually a medical doctor working at Charing Cross Hospital. So it couldn't take over my life. So it had to be relatively, not low maintenance. I'm not saying sort of box and U shapes and everything. But I couldn't be out there all day, every day at all. And so colour, production and easy were my priorities and I think it's good for you to work out what yours are but Arthur what what would you say yours were? Similar to you colour especially and also wildlife um, has always been a a priority for me but not wildlife as in there's nettles everywhere although nettles are very good I wanted to look for flowers which had open centres full of nectar and you know I think increasingly like you were when you were working in a hospital I, I haven't got time anymore to be out there, you know, seven hours a day. So I love perennials much more. I also love the structure that shrubs give and hedges give yeah. um, increasingly. And I think, you know, a hedge can be so full of life and is a permanent planting and also a windbreak too for a garden. So I think looking at your boundaries are important too. Yeah, yeah, r- very much so. So I think that's the first thing to work out. The second thing, I guess, in a way sort of condensing that down even more on a piece of paper. Well, that's how we work because we like pens and papers and crayons and colour. Could be on your computer. What are your favourite flowers? Perhaps if you want to do some veg, what are your favourite things to eat that you can grow? And make a list. And then that should form the backbone kind of of where you're going. But of course, when I did that, for instance, I had ginger and sweet potatoes on my edibles which I really wouldn't recommend that you grow because they need a warmer climate. And you might not know that as a beginner yet, but the things that you like in a list, but they've got to be realistic, I guess. And then the next thing is going out into the garden and looking at it. <laughs> so so you've got what are your priorities overall, then kind of pinning it down a little bit on some actual plants that you might grow and then looking at the space that you're going to grow it in. So in the case of Arthur, it's two small gardens, one on the Oxfordshire-Gloucestershire border, one in Hucknall just outside Nottingham. But they're both sort of like little yards, little paved areas with mainly pots. But they're both sunny. Whereas, well, one is. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. front and back. My, yeah, my front garden is really sunny and bakes because we had lots of buildings taken down. But the back garden is full shade. And yeah. things like dahlias, they just soak in the back garden and they get hammered by slugs. Yeah. So it's two quite contrasting, a bit like your door at Perch Hill, where it's yeah. quite shady. You've got, I know you've got all your ferns and things around the door with hellebores, and then your other side of the house is full sun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
Anything you'd add to that, those first three points, Arthur, that, that you can think really? Yeah, I think, I honestly think light, working out your light levels mm. will really help you and yeah. help you save time and a lot of money as well. Yeah. There's no point, unfortunately, planting a sunflower in a shady garden. No. You know, you want to be planting a nice foxglove and things like that. So that will help. And also just take your, you know, your spade out, dig down into the soil mm. and see whether you're on heavy clay or if you're lucky, you might be on a nice loamy soil i know when you first moved to perch hill you were on heavy clay weren't you yeah and so it's taken you how many years to get a nice oh, gosh i don't know i mean at least a decade i yeah. said before we yeah, got so a decent soil really invest in your soil lots of you know homemade compost and that kind of thing particularly if it's a new built house um you'll also have yeah. soil compaction and you know pot that's why i garden in pots a lot because they're so mm. helpful for that yeah yeah and then i suppose again one step down then perhaps is getting to know a few plants properly, whether it's if you've got a sunny area or only sun or whether you've got a shady area or only shade. I thought it'd be worth Arthur and I maybe listing out a few things that we think we wouldn't live without, first of all, in sun. So for you, Arthur, what would be your absolute beginner must-haves for a sunny spot? For a sunny spot... Dahlias? I was going to give you dahlias. I think fennel, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know, I read something this morning that fennel gives out an exudate at its roots that discourages, if not kills, other things so that there's room when it's self-seeding for all the little seedlings really? around it to thrive without competition. It's amazing. I do love it. Even in the winter I in a sheltered yeah, yeah. garden, they're just like little feathers I love it. I soil. love bronze fennel. I agree. And looks so lovely with tulips, so it can self-seed as much as it likes in my sunny border. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So fennel, that's a good one. It is quite invasive though. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm thinking, you know, for people who maybe literally just want, you know, life in their garden and yeah. the finches come in the winter if you leave the seed heads. So yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna fly the flag off. I know your head gardener, dearest Josie, isn't a fan, but. Yeah. No, I love fennel too. And if you keep cutting it back, it just keeps reshooting. So you can cut it right from the base and it'll just reshoot with fresh foliage. So I think um, Josie will certainly have some things to say by that, that being the first one on our list. But okay, well, dahlias we've yeah, already mentioned, but I, I do think for a beginner, a dahlia is just going to give, 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 give and give some more. So... Um, they're really easy. You do need to stake them, the, the larger ones, anything over about 60 centimetres. I would definitely put a stout stake by its side and tie it up. But otherwise, they are just incredible givers, as, of course, a cosmos. And that takes me back to the first trial that I ever did at Perch Hill where I planted metre-square patches of 12 different varieties of cut flowers, these were. And um, Cosmos Purity excelled one by a street with 50 buckets per square meter over the whole season so they would be hard to beat and any others that you'd recommend um cardoons if gosh you want you're a... going really alternative <laughs> i thought you were going to say sweet peas <laughs> <laughs> no if you want if you want a windbreak yeah. or you know beautiful structural gorgeous william morris tapestry foliage with lovely big goblets full of nectar for bumblebees which you can harvest and take into the house at christmas time as like a, a dried arrangement. I love love cardoons and I also love sweet peas. So have you added artichokes or cardoons, have you added them into the Gloucestershire yard then? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got lots. I'm just going to oh. let them get as big as they want to in the pots. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, 
Okay, well, I'm going to add sweet peas because I think sewn into a root train or any little pot, to be honest. I mean, root trainers are ideal, but they'll germinate in pretty much anything in March, planted out in April or May. There's something very lovely and quintessentially British about them somehow. And then what about shade? Our absolute um, must-have plants for shade. What would you say? The hellebores, I would say. Yeah. The leaves are lovely in the summer after the flowers from spring have faded. Very happy in pots, you know, dingy places, and they just they just come back with gusto. Yeah. And all, all the lovely ferns for shade yeah. as well. You know, it goes more into like jungle, doesn't it, yes. shade? Yeah, it's, um, it's more about leaf form, yeah. isn't it, than, yeah. than colour, really. But I, I saw on Instagram a few days ago you saying that you dug up a, a good yes. plant of hellebore, put it in a nice terracotta from pot and bought year. it inside for Christmas time last year. And uh, I, I know, funnily enough, uh, you have good heritage there because Vita Sap for West used to do exactly that with snowdrops, hellebores and aconites. And I think it's such a brilliant tip where you haven't got a, a sort of florist or a garden centre or ever down the road or you haven't got, you don't want to spend the money on it. Just dig something up in your garden that flowers naturally early in spring, but you can force it six weeks, two months earlier by, by just bringing it into the warmth. And then you've got something really wonderful, which you can enjoy for a bit inside and then plant it out in the garden again. I think that's um, I think that's a great idea. And hellebores, definitely. And I would add as my absolute must-have two, actually, for, uh, or perhaps three, if you'll allow me for shade. Yeah, the first is hydrangeas. I adore limelight, which has got those amazing pyramidal, huge flower heads. And I also love the very vulgar, huge-headed, incredible and as Arthur and I sit here actually there are some dry heads of incredible sitting in a vase over in the corner of the room mm. and they are incredible they're bigger than a human head they're absolutely enormous and they dry fabulously and then Nicotiana sylvestris which oh, is yeah. an annual and it's very very rare because most annuals need to make their food from the sun so they need full sun and shelter but Nicotiana sylvestris which is related to the nightshade family is very happy in shade. Amazing. Looks beautiful and has perfume. And then finally, I think I'd have to mention a really unusual acanthus because I associate acanthus with sort of Rome and the, the tops of pillars and that lovely acanthus pattern that you get. And so I associate it with heat and sun. But actually there's a variety called acanthus rouleden, which is really happy in shade and it doesn't get mildew, which the other ones do late in summer when they get heat stressed. So those would be really good varieties for those who are beginners. The next thing that there's no doubt in terms of starting off in gardening that Arthur and I are obsessed by is the whole thing of cut and come again. So whether it's a cut flower or, in my case, perhaps more the vegetables, salads and herbs, the fact that you can harvest, let's say on a Friday if you've got friends coming round, and by the following Friday, you can harvest from exactly the same plant because the leaves have grown back again or the flowers have grown back again. And it's like an ever-filling cup. There's nothing more optimistic and more sort of intoxicating in a way as a gardener because they just keep, keep, keep producing. And what would be your number one cut and come again plant? Oh, sweet peas. Yeah. Yeah, I think. The more you pick, the more they flower. And for me... In terms of edibles, it would be uh, flat leaf parsley, giant of Napoli. Mm. I just, I put that almost every day of the year from just two sowings, one in March, one in September. And I just keep picking and picking and picking. 
and it just keeps growing and that's fabulous. So in a way, perhaps to sort of wind up this starter is sort of where to refer to, to learn more. And of course, there are books and websites and things like that. And so maybe we'll just, we'll divert to that for a minute. So any particular book, Arthur, or any place, website, or anything that you'd recommend or a few to go to for somebody who really doesn't know? Yeah, I mean, there's more help now than ever before, like more than when I was, you know, little, um, well, not little, but, you know, early teens. Yeah. I used to go to the library. I think, to be honest, Monty John, The Complete Gardener, I think that's a really, a very good book for somebody who is starting off. Yeah. For Veg, your mate Anna... Anna Greenland. Anna Greenland. Yeah, it's very good. Um, her her book's really good. Very very hand holding, and I, I mean I love I do love your book, which is again hand holding for the cut flower and through the whole season. All the flowers we mention are in a year full of flowers. How to propagate as as well, and varieties too. And I would add to that. I mean, it's actually now slightly outdated in in a sense in that it talks about peak compost and everything which of course none of us use now but I find Graham Rice and Christopher Lloyd's gardening growing from Mm. seed funny enough it is really where I started 30 years ago I read that book and I just loved the way they explained the science and I'm not saying it's for the complete beginner gardener but once you get addicted and you want to know more why things work and why other things don't I found that incredibly useful. It's not in print anymore, unfortunately, I don't think. But you can get it from a site like A Books or a secondhand bookshop, which, of course, you can find online these days. So I really recommend that. And to be honest, I spent an awful lot of time studying RHS encyclopedias, either online, but I actually prefer a book. So I would just sit in bed at night, just sort of flicking through. If I'd seen a plant that I liked... I would find it and sort of read about it. So I sort of felt I was learning as I went along. But also I think the thing that is really, really frustrating as a beginner is that you see a beautiful close-up picture on a website or in a catalogue. And how do you know whether that is something that's the size of an ant or the size of a giraffe? You don't. I mean, (laughs) and so heights and spreads are really absolutely so, so, so important particularly if you don't yet know kind of by instinct, which you will get to know what an annual is. You can kind of tell or what a perennial is. Um, You get a feel for that as you get more experience. But if you don't know that, you won't know whether it's going to grow to six inches or six foot. And so I think having an encyclopedia to look things up is a well worth thing. And I do think the RHS, they are supremely good at that. So I tend to go to them. And then, of course, you've got to visit gardens, haven't you? Well, you haven't got to, that sounds awful. But, you know, one of the pleasures is suddenly as you walk around gardens, they'll come to life more. It's like if you go for a walk once you've learnt a few wildflowers or a few birds or a few butterflies or a few bees, when you start spotting them, it's like everywhere you look, it's so exciting because there's things that is sort of enhancing and embellishing your life and bringing colour and and life and vitality to every pace that you take. And visiting gardens for me is like that. And and then sort of taking photos, working out what things are that you liked and all that kind of thing. And then maybe finally, Arthur, what do you think are the essential tools? Because, you know, I'm not a kit person at all and I tend to lose all my tools and stuff. 
But what for you are the absolute minimum starting toolkit? I, I do think really good pair of, I use my florist scissors a lot, which um, are quite heavy duty scissors. They cut for most things, but also I would have always have a good pair of secateurs. I'm not somebody who looks after them, so I'm not going to buy a hundred pounds worth yeah. worth one because half the time it gets lost within a season. But uh, you know, a good a good quality pair which is going to cut cleanly at least when it's freshly bought. You mm. know, they really will help. You don't want to be ruining plants when you're cutting and leaving ripped um, bark and things. Mm. So that's really helpful. Good trowel, good garden fork, um, handheld tools are really good. And you'll find them, you know, if you've got an elderly relative, maybe who's, you know, too old to garden, they've probably got a garden shed full of old tools. You don't have to be buying all this stuff brand new. And also a kneeler, good kneeler. Yeah. <laughs> um, or knee will, pads. Yeah, good, yeah. good knee pads. What else? trying to think uh, a good springbok rake even in a small garden i find they're really good for just tidying up a good yard brush as well actually uh, mm. that was my favorite buy this year i needed a soft brush not a hard brush because um i didn't want to sweep out all the moss in between our, our slabs mm. um so mm. it's lovely to have a good sweep if you're feeling rubbish and you just need something to do there's nothing nice than just giving it a nice sweep where you're walking mm. and um that's it really, I think. And then just something to contain stuff, isn't it? So yes. if you've got a bigger garden, obviously a barrow, but I mean, you, you probably don't no, have I a don't. barrow. In, uh, no. But I love those. Um, they are plastic, but they're very durable. They last for years. You you had them. Tub truck tub things. Trucks. Yeah. They're really good. Yeah. And you can yeah. get them in nice colours, green or black. Yeah. So they don't look like they're popping out at you every time you go in the garden. Yeah. And nice, nice sacks, things like that. Yeah. Um, I've just got a big pot in the corner of the garden. And to be honest, most of my tools are behind that pot and some of you can't see them. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, obviously you can go into all the stuff like knives and pruning knives and all that. But I would borrow them, really. I wouldn't have them as a beginner. Well, those good foldy saws are quite good, aren't they? Yeah, they are, They're actually. Those, those but Japanese no, you don't need a big, big saw in, in the way. Yeah. A hammer, I suppose. Yeah, hammer. Um, String. The- We've got to have string, oh, yeah. haven't we? We've got, we forgot <laughs> twine. String in a tin. I'm a bit string of a fan a of string in a tin because it doesn't get in a knot. Uh, and then flexi-tie, which is made from recycled plastic. That's good stuff with a hollow, which is very gentle on plants. But that's quite enough. We don't want, otherwise we're going to be filling a room with this kit. I think that's quite enough. Good. Well, I think that is quite a good sort of general broad brushstroke guide to starting out in your garden. So I hope that enthuses you and gets you going. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.